Bible passages like Leviticus are filled with minute instructions, but we don't even follow them today. Why are they important? Do you want to understand the Bible, but you're confused? You've come to the right place. This is Tough Bible Questions on Timothy Talks, where I'm going to work through answers to your questions about the tough, challenging, and sometimes flat-out weird sections of the Bible. Welcome to Timothy Talks Season 4, Tough Bible Questions. I'm Daniel Pentamon, and as always, delving into these questions I'm excited to do so, and I hopefully they'll be helpful to you, especially today as we're asking the question, why does the Bible have books like Leviticus? Why does it contain those complex dietary codes, rules about how to sacrifice animals, and so many other random laws like that? Now, to be honest, um, and to set your expectations right, I'm going to be focusing more on the general question of why there are so many regulations like this and the role that they play in the Bible, rather than focusing on the specifics of the book of Leviticus itself, although most of what I will talk about will come from Leviticus. I'm not per se delving into the role of Leviticus in the canon or things like that, even though those would certainly be fascinating topics. But really, though, let's just think about some of the regulations and rules that guided Old Testament life. So in the book of Leviticus particularly, you have sacrifices and offerings. This included detailed instructions about how to kill and prepare different types of animals, how to make different types of sacrifices, what to do with the different organs of the animals, Um, really bizarre, detailed laws like that. Then you have the dietary laws, lists of animals that are unclean, as well as general principles to use to determine on your own which animals are clean and which are not, so that you can always know which animals to avoid. Then you also have the feasts and festivals. We sometimes think that the Jews were just not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, and that is true, but there were many other days that were holy days as well. There were sometimes even holy years in which you didn't do certain types of things, and work was not done at these different times. So all of this goes into the Hebrew calendar and what days you can do things and what days you celebrate and so on and so forth. And then, of course, there's lots of miscellaneous rules, and you certainly see this in the book of Leviticus as well. You have everything from laws about male and female purity to laws about skin diseases and leprosy. And then you have all of these laws that are just flat out hard to characterize and hard to categorize from the very obvious laws like you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, which seems pretty common sense if you're a moral person, to the very not obvious laws like you shall not round off the hair of your temples or mar the edges of your beard, which is probably not something that you would just assume by thinking about the character of God. So you notice that no one is keeping these laws today, and that's an important point to keep in mind. Some people keep some of these laws, but there's no one who is keeping all of these laws today. So Christians, um, Christians who believe the Bible, who are orthodox in their theology, they certainly aren't keeping these laws, although there are still many denominations that um, have some modified Sabbath regulations, um, many Protestant denominations that will say something about the value of the Sabbath, and um, they're certainly not keeping it in the way that it was kept in the Old Testament, but they're still perhaps drawing somewhat from the Old Testament for that. But for the most part, the other regulations, they're not really doing anything with them. Then you have sort of the fringe Christian groups, and they do try to keep more of these regulations. They're a little bit more careful about it, the dietary code, um, sometimes trying to keep the Sabbath rules more carefully as they were kept in Old Testament times. 
I should just uh, throw out the fact that there are some Christians who are even um, have orthodox thinking who are more careful to try to keep some of these laws um, simply as a thing that they just personally want to do, but they're not doing it because they think that somehow that makes them right with God versus the fringe Christian group sometimes place more of an emphasis on that as in you actually have to do that. Um, then you then you have the group that comes the closest to keeping these rules, and that's the Orthodox Jews of today. They're certainly trying to keep most of these laws. They're very particular to keep the Sabbath. They're very particular to keep the dietary codes, even the different miscellaneous regulations that are found in these books. But even they aren't sacrificing animals, according to the instructions that are found in the book of Leviticus. Now, to be honest, it's not because they don't want to do it. It's because they can't. They don't have a temple to do it in. And they don't have a priesthood whose duty it is to do that. So until those things change, they're just not able to do it because if they did it as individuals, they would be breaking the law themselves. So at present, though, they come the closest, but even they aren't following out a fully um, the full type of lifestyle that's laid out in the book of Leviticus or the other sections of the Old Testament. So why do these laws even exist? I mean, we've got these different people... Um, some of them making some efforts, but honestly, no one's keeping them. What's the purpose of them even nowadays? Well, I'd love to delve into that, but take a quick listen, and I'll be right back to answer that question. Now it's your turn. This season at Timothy Talks, the goal is to answer your tough Bible questions. So do you have a tough Bible question? If so, email it to timothytalkspodcast at gmail.com. That's Timothy Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Plus, every time you send a tough Bible question, you'll get a chance to win a Bible study resource of your choice so that you can understand the Bible even better. We might devote a whole podcast episode to answering your tough Bible question. So welcome back. So at first glance, it really does all seem so unspiritual. Um, You've got all these regulations, and yet they're not actually like moral regulations, or at least many of them aren't. And so what is going on? Well, the religion of ancient Israel has been famously called by one scholar a religion of pots and pans. And is that really all that it is? Well, I think that there's several different themes that are going on. And if you really think carefully about these laws, these regulations, some some things are going to come to mind. The first one is that God is in the camp. So hence, you live in a different way. There's no other nation that has God, Yahweh, in the camp. At least certainly not this God, this Yahweh. Um, so the God of Israel is different from all the other gods of the nations. And so hence, life in the camp or life in ancient Israel is going to be regulated very carefully. Now, life in, is not easy in ancient Israel. Of course, it already isn't easy in any ancient society. It's a difficult life to start out with, but it's even less easy for these people because God is here, and he is a God who is holy, and that means you have to be very, very careful around him. In fact, the whole story of the wandering almost becomes a sort of commentary on this idea of what happens when a group of people are traveling with a holy God in their camp, and they find out very quickly that this is not just a case of life like normal around here. This is definitely not that. And so all throughout the wandering, you have this this group of people who are traveling, and there's God in their midst, and that means they can't live the way that they would probably live if God wasn't in their midst. 
And that brings out another thought that God is holy. So you have this whole idea of moral impurity, but then there's also this idea of ceremonial or ritual impurity. It's something that isn't morally wrong. And today we would say, well, God doesn't have an issue with people who are ritually impure. God doesn't have an, have an issue with people who say have a skin disease. Um, it's not within the character of God to avoid such people. But in ancient times, um, this is built into the Mosaic Code of this idea of ritual impurity. It's a heightened way of showing to the ancient Israelites the significance of living with a holy God. And it really brings out in more vivid detail the fact that there's a God who is pure. And so even these things that aren't moral issues, they're still dealt with as purity issues. And then not only is God in the camp and not only is God holy, but God actually cares about what is going on around him. So it's not just enough to have a tabernacle or temple and keep that area holy and then just live your messed up lives of sin outside of the temple. No, not at all. God cares about what is going on around him. So again, you can't just live your life, your ordinary normal life, the way that you're living it, because God cares about what's going on, so you have to live a certain way. Now, all of these rules exist for these reasons, but they also exist for the people themselves. You see, you can't just live a normal life if you're following these rules. These rules are too complex, and they intrude in your life too often. So they become sort of what Moses told the people to do. So you remember Moses said that you should teach these rules to your children, you should write them on your doorposts, bind them um, about yourself, And the point isn't that you need to do that literally, even though Orthodox Jews do that. They actually take the verses, they write them on strips of leather, and then they wrap them around their arms. Um, The point, though, is you don't have to do that. Um, You don't literally have to do that, because if you're going to try to follow these rules, you almost sort of figuratively have to do that. There's so many of them, and they're so complicated that you have to have them constantly on your mind, or you're going to... Um, accidentally break one of these laws. The, the rules themselves become omnipresent. You know, it's easy in America to do sort of pop Christianity and to go to church on Sunday, maybe even read your Bible every morning, but these rules don't have to be constantly in front of you. Um, you can sort of live the religion of pop Christianity without having the, the, the moral precepts in front of you all the time. They don't really govern which foods you buy at the grocery store, which days you mow your yard, which animals you're raising up for sacrifices. Um, It's just not necessary to remember them all the time. But if you're going to follow the Old Testament laws, you do have to remember them all the time because they intrude in your life all the time. They're, They're always there. They're omnipresent, and you can't get away from these laws. So these laws are constantly in front of people's minds, and you're constantly breaking these laws. Um, You may not even try to. Some of the ritual impurity laws, certain things happen to you. You're impure. You didn't even try to do it. It's just natural, and yet it happened, and so you become impure, and so you um, have to deal with the consequences of that impurity. It's a constant, omnipresent rules in front of you. In that sense, it's been said that these rules function almost like the Holy Spirit does today. They remind us of God. These laws do that in ancient times. So just as you have the Holy Spirit today, if you're a believer, he's, he's there, He is present, he is reminding you of the word of, of God, and he is bringing your mind back to Christ, and he is um, he's sort of constantly there. Well, these laws, in a sense, it's been said, almost function like the Holy Spirit because they're always there. They're always around you. You always have to be thinking of them 
if you're going to be living the type of life that God has called the Old Testament Hebrews to live. So that's one function that they do. They're constantly reminding you God is present. God is present. God is here. You can't live the way that you want to live because there's a holy God who cares about how you live your life. Then these laws, they also make a clear division between God's people and foreigners. Because if you try to keep the dietary laws, it's just about impossible to intermingle with the Gentiles. You know what? If you're trying to keep the laws of the Old Testament, it's very hard to go to, say, a barbecue at work or some after-hours get-together with your Gentile friends um, at a restaurant. It's, it's hard to do that because the laws, you're constantly going to be wondering, is this prepared in a kosher way? Is this meat properly done? Um, you can't have certain types of foods with other types of foods, and that makes it difficult to interact with Gentiles. Um, if you try to keep the Sabbath in the Jewish calendar, it becomes almost impossible to cooperate with Gentiles with your schedule. You can't really work for a Gentile boss very easily if you're constantly taking off certain days, certain times, not just every Saturday, but even other times of the week when there's different holidays and festivals that come up. Um, it becomes almost impossible to cooperate with Gentiles in your schedule. And so it be because it's so impossible, it forces the Jews to be an island unto themselves, to separate from the rest of the world, which that was God's very intention in these rules, was to draw the Jewish people separate from the rest of the world to say, this is my people, and they're not like everyone else. So if you're trying to keep these laws, it does create such a dramatic division. This is useful because God's trying to show the world that his people are different, but then you also have the fact other things, like if you think about the Sabbath regulations, why do the Sabbath regulations exist? Well, for one, they exist because they can, because the Gentiles are always working. And we now, we understand that. We live in a world where stores are open 24-7, but with the Sabbath, the sabbatical year, the other holy times, the Jews are forced to put their plows down. They have to submit to the sovereignty of Yahweh, that he is really going to watch out for them, that they don't need to care about their provision because they are God's people, so he cares for them and provides for them. Again, you find this interestingly in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, don't worry about the things that all the Gentiles are worried about because you have a father who cares for you. Well, nowadays in the New Testament, we're just told, don't worry about those things because we trust that we have a father. In the, in the Old Testament, it's a little different. They're not given that specific command. And yet if they think about the laws that they're given, they're going to realize that it leads them to the same point, that they can trust God with their own livelihoods because God is going to take care of them. They simply have to trust him to not work on the Sabbath, for example. So the point is, as you delve into these laws and regulations, you're starting to understand that they actually have a purpose and a value, and they're teaching the people who live underneath them. Now, we know that the Mosaic law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The New Testament is clear about that. Um, we aren't called to keep these laws and regulations. Christians are not under the law because through Christ, they fulfill the law. At this point, we could get into a really complicated discussion of just what this means. What does it mean that Christians are not under the law? Does that mean that Christians are without law? And certainly the answer is no. But it is complicated. And I mean, what is even meant by the law? There's even different definitions of that. And there's complicated discussions about that. But I think the point is, and I think we can agree on this, that these rituals, these sacrifices and diets, the things that the New Testament book of Hebrews calls food and drink, and various washings, regulations for the body. 
imposed until the time of Reformation, that those things, Christians are no longer under them. But here's the thought for you. There's still value in the law. And we should think carefully on the law. It continues to provide a revelation of God and of God's inspired direction to a specific people at a specific point in history. This is important. We don't simply need to cut that section out of our Bible because it no longer applies to us. It is still a revelation of God, even if we are not called to follow it anymore. So that's why, for example, Paul goes back to the law. And while he doesn't tell us that we should be under it, he does draw application from it. He says, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And then Paul asks, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. So what Paul does is he's going to the Old Testament law of Moses. He's not saying you should keep that, but he's saying you can learn something about what God cares about by seeing the laws that he makes, seeing what matters to God. And that things that matter to God that are in the Mosaic law, they still matter to him today. So understand that these laws, they may not seem to be that interesting to us today, and yet they certainly have a purpose. And that purpose is not finished. That purpose is still valuable for us today. And I hope that this will inspire you to go into those Old Testament laws and to reconsider them. And what can we learn about God from them today? Well, thank you so much for joining Timothy Talks. And I'm just working through these tough Bible questions. I'd like to invite you to join me next week. Um, I want to answer the question, why did Noah end so poorly? Seems like such a wonderful guy in the book of Genesis, but then there's a bad episode at the end of his life. If you've not already, I want to invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please do go out and share it with your family and friends. Hopefully they will also benefit from it. But thanks so much for listening and God bless.